Hi, everyone. It is almost 2 a.m. on a Friday. <laughs> Super early. Um, just got finished editing a podcast and want to do a short intro. As I've said multiple times, I'm not usually an intro person. I'm not throwing ads at you. I'm not doing stuff like that. But quick intro. Um, today's episode is with Jessica Saunders, who has done sound design for Rare and Lionhead and Rocksteady and is now at Salus Games. It's a really great episode. I just want to let everyone know um, the audio is going to be a little bit shakier on this one. It is just the direct Skype call recording. Um, a couple of things happened. We couldn't do the normal audio recording, but Jessica was an awesome guest, and I think you'll really enjoy what she has to say. So there will be a couple of audio spikes and random skipping, but please bear with me. It's just for this episode. It's still, there's a lot of great info there, and uh, yes, I've ordered a new mic, yes, I've ordered a pop filter, and yes, moving forward, the audio will continue to get better. I've heard you on Reddit and elsewhere, and Twitter, a lot of tweets, um, the audio will get where it needs to be, so this episode is great, listen to it no matter what. Uh, just an update on the schedule, a lot has happened, I've gotten a lot of great suggestions on Twitter. Coming up, we have Andrea Renee from what's good games and kind of funny she'll be on in the near future we have brian crescente from glixel he will be on i know i had uh john davison before brian crescente has now taken over glixel he'll be talking about glixel i'm really excited about that one uh Alyssa judge from ign she'll be talking about ign in general hosting a lot of other things and then we also have jeff canada he'll be talking also about hosting there's a lot of great guests coming up uh, that none of this would be possible without all of you guys downloading the podcast and give me great suggestions. And then uh, we're going to have a maybe up to three hour long 2017 Game of the Year show with Kevin Van Ord, Carolyn Pett, and Tom McShay. Um, when I was getting into podcasts, the hot spot with all of those people was what I would listen to every single week and called into and emailed into. And now I'm hosting a podcast with all of them. And I, again, I can barely wrap my brain around this stuff. But yeah, that's um, we're going to be doing a similar format as we did the last two years where we get a big old list. We talk through each game that we want to defend. We narrow it down to 10. And then we order that list of 10. So that's it's, it's one of my favorite podcasts to record every year. It's something I look forward to every year. I hope you guys really like it. Um, it seems like you do, and I want to keep doing it. So, so a lot of great guests. Uh, the Game of the Year show coming up that essentially closes out 2017, um, which has been, God, I've talked about this on Twitter before. It's it's been upwards of six to seven times the download numbers as last year. It's been insane. I don't know what to say about it. Um, thank you to everyone who's found out about the 1099 this year. And anyone who's stuck around with me since the start, <laughs> since since the super bad audio days, since the I have no idea what I'm doing days, and I'm not saying I still know what I'm doing yet, but I think I'm getting closer. I just want to thank everyone for doing that. So um, if before you listen to this episode, if you want to go over to iTunes, drop a review, comment on it, that'd be great. Again, if there's any guests you want to hear in 2018, I'm building that list now. Please tweet at Josiah Renauden or at the 1099 podcast. I listen to you guys. I promise a lot of these guests have come from you just saying, hey, do you want to talk to this person? I'm like, all right, I'll reach out to them. And then it happens. So um, thanks so much. It means the world. Uh, again, this episode is with Jessica Saunders. She's great. So she's a lot to say that I hope you guys enjoy. 
hopefully you enjoy this episode and you tune in next week. So without further ado, here's the Jessica Saunders interview. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the 1099 for the week of December 4th, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a director at Salus Games, a former sound designer at Rocksteady, Splash Damage, Rare, and Lionhead Studios, and someone whose LinkedIn page I'm insanely jealous of, Jessica Saunders. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. But really, I if I had your resume, I think I just told this to Marcus Leto when I was talking to him, I think I would like pin it to my chest and just be like, at all times, make sure people know like, this is where I've worked. This is what I've done. If you want to hire me, like I have all this experience right here. Uh, yeah. The joys of con- contracting, my CV does look a bit shiny. <laughs> and then again, like I mentioned, you've worked a little bit of everywhere in the UK. Just yeah. about anyone who plays games will recognize the studios you've been at, you've been contracted for, the games you've contributed to. When you were still in school and learning how to do all the sound design work you've done up to this point, what were you doing beyond the actual schoolwork to set yourself up for a job? Because you can get the perfect degree and set yourself up for success in that way. But I would assume similar to writing and similar to other aspects of games, if you're not putting in the time outside of that realm to really establish yourself, it's difficult to get these jobs. Um, Oh, absolutely. Like for me, when it came to uh, game audio, um, I kind of hit the age of kind of must have been about 16, 17 when I really kind of realized that this is what I wanted to do for a living. I know I started doing music tech at, at what we call A level, which I guess is your equivalent of high school. Mm. And that was the first time I'd really kind of got my hands on with the, um, the tech needed for sound design and just found that I really, really liked it and just kind of clicked with it. And sound design had always been on my remit from the, um, the Lord of the Rings extended editions. They had all those little behind the scenes for how they sh- had shooting arrows and the sounds of the Ents. And I was like, what an amazing way to make a living. <laughs> um, so I'd always had it in my back, my back of my mind that I want to do that. And the idea of working for games just appealed to me so much more. One, because my, my background and childhood was always much more games than film and the idea of making an interactive world. So when it comes to cho- choosing universities, etc., I, I I fought tooth and nail to find somewhere with a game audio um, module. Um, it's funny, I, I do a lot of talks to universities now, and game mod, game modules and game audio courses are so common. They, they're, they're everywhere. Um, yeah. But, you know, 10 years ago when I was applying and things, they, they didn't exist. <laughs> they just they weren't a thing. Games courses didn't exist. Um, there might have been one in the country, maybe. Um, so I, had, I found luckily found a course that had a, a, a single module in the third year, and... I spent all my time, uh, I went into that degree knowing I wanted to come out working in in in-game audio, and I literally did everything in my power to make sure that would happen. Um, I basically focused every one of my um, modules and dissertation work onto having a, a, into sound design, into having a portfolio to show where I finished my degree, and um, I hit up every single games company. 
I'm lucky I live in Guildford and Guildford was very much a games hub, it still is a games hub. So I literally walked into EA and handed in my CV, walked into Lionhead, handed in my CV and just made myself known and didn't shut up, basically. <laughs> asked a lot of people, can I come and work for you, please? And eventually one of them got so fed up, they said yes. <laughs> it, it's funny because even if you do set yourself up in every way possible where you're the perfect person for the job, some of this stuff is just persistence. A lot of it is just I'm going to be there asking, waiting, you know, sending emails or like you said, walking in and being like, here's my resume. Here's everything you need to know about me. If anything opens up, it, it's it's so much hard work, but it's also so much persistence and luck oh, in absolutely. a lot of ways. Um, this industry is all about networking and who you know. Like I got my break because Co-Blasters were doing um, their final audio mix of Flashpoint at my university um, in the summer. Uh, is it the summer or the holidays? I can't, I can't remember when. Um, but I, I was one of the only students that was there every day for the entire mix. You know, their first thing to the last thing, asking questions all day, getting really involved. And one day the audio director came in and started talking about his Guildford studio. And I was like, that's my hometown. Can I have some work experience, please? And, you know, if it hadn't been for that, scenario and if i hadn't have asked um it never would have happened or would have been a, a very different way of getting into the industry that's insane and i do want to talk about codemasters in, in this context too because i feel like sound design is something that people outside of development circles just don't think that much about and it's something i know i'm guilty of when i used to review games for ign and GameSpot. Uh, very often I would have like notes back from the editor saying like, all right, what's the, what's the score? Like, what's the sound design? Like, and I'm like, man, I entirely missed that. And I didn't really think about it because it's ever present. Sometimes it, it can complement a game so well that it just blends. And some, of course, some scores and some different pieces of sounds stand out and stick with you. But for a game yeah. like body count, which you worked on at Codemasters, yes. what were you actually responsible for i mean when you when someone says i'm bringing you in to do the sound design for body count where do you even start oh body count oh less body count. <laughs> oh the memories <laughs> oh the memories um so body count i was initially brought on um, um to do the dialogue for the game so oh. i was meant to be doing either dialogue processing um kind of batch processing top um top and tailing so there was uh, basically a whole system where we have the handler who's talking and there's like a little radio blip that starts and ends each transmission and um, a little sonar bleep for certain things. Um, um, so I was I was called in to do that, but pretty much the day after I started at Codemasters, one of the other sound designers handed in her notice. So I ended up taking on her responsibilities as well. Um, I ended up doing a lot of the Foley work and implementation of the UI sounds as well. Mm. Uh, I think I was also I was also given a level um, to do at Codemasters, so I was kind of thrown in the deep end. It really was a baptism by fire at Cody's. It was really nice actually to get my hands on on most systems. I think the only system I didn't really touch there was the music. That was on James Slavin. Um, but yeah, when it came to sort of body count, like the first thing I did when it came to sort of um, thinking about the sound design, it just kind of for me, it's always the kind of thinking logically about it. It's like okay. Hey, who are these characters? Where are they? What kind of world are you in? And what kind of tech would they be using? And just it, a lot of it, I find, is an art form. It's just like, you know, if you're a concept artist, you, know, you think about it when you're, hey, okay, well, you know, it's going to look roughly like this. And it's about getting that down on paper. And with sound design, you can almost hear it before you're making it. And then, of yeah. course, what you actually create isn't what you hear in your head necessarily originally, but it's it's got that base to it. 
the the art side of it is super interesting because I would assume a lot of people think of sound as design and they think technical. They think very technical in a studio, you know, making sure the mixes and everything are working well. But I know working with Corey Davis um, for Here They Lie, when he's talking about what he's doing, he's like, oh, I went out to the desert today and captured certain sounds. Or I went out in nature and captured these certain things so that we can implement them in the right way. And when you're making a horror game, maybe you have even greater latitude because you're trying to think of unique, creative ways to make gross noises. But yeah, I think there's a the artistic aspect of it is something that people forget about it's not just playing around with the computer it's it's go- like did you spend a lot of time maybe going out and trying to find the perfect noise in nature or in some other way other than just in a studio or grabbing it from some free freeware site see i'm a really bad sound designer in this response is i i don't really enjoy going out recording mm-hmm. um some sounds like as they love it, you know. But for me, I'd much rather sit in my comfy office in the warm than go hang about in the rain <laughs> recording waves. And I don't blame you at all for this. Miserable. Uh, you know, some people love it. They love it. But for me, it's just really not my shit. You know, there's so many people who are just so much better at it than I am um, going out recording stuff. So if I have to go out and record stuff, of course I will. Like we had a really, really uh, fun trip. Me and Andrew Quinn at Rocksteady went to um, Whipsnade Zoo and recorded chimps there and stuff like that which was really good fun um because obviously you just can't get that stuff in a library but for various bits and game and stuff you i don't mind necessarily outsourcing the recording to someone else and just having the raw, raw materials because people i think don't understand the sound design is once you're given the recordings that's not what goes in game mm. um you you have to edit them you have to implement them and even something um as as simple as you know like a, a soundscape of a desert and you just be sitting recording that you won't necessarily just use that one recording dry and when it comes to more complicated things you know such as you know um a gadget wheel sound effect or the detective mode in, in batman and things you know that's not one sound that's 50 60 sounds layered on top of each other you know that's things that you've pulled and you've literally pulled and manipulated these sounds and edited them and used the software itself um, to manipulate the sounds and just literally layer and layer and layer and layer and to create new sounds. So something that sound- takes a second to play might actually be yeah, 50 or 60 sounds at once. Do you have any bizarre stories from when you're, think- when you're trying to like think of different sounds that you pulled from? Were there anything that people wouldn't expect? Like, all right, I made the Batman punch sound. Actually, it was me grabbing a handful of mayo and throwing it against the wall, and that was part of the sound for this. Like, are there any super unexpected sounds that you pulled from to make common noises in the games? I'm just trying to think. This. If it's if it's mayo, please, I I would be very excited if I hit that immediately. Oh no, no, no! I can't touch mayo. It's disgusting. I just, <laughs> it. just no. Um. Uh. I've used a lot of my jewelry in mm. games and stuff um like claw taps you know i have um i get my nails done and so they always like got a nice plastic sheen to them and that little tapping around is often bits and pieces so things that necessarily might sound really creepy in games and it's no it's just a nice manicure um <laughs> uh, bubble wrap balloon popping oh, they'll yeah. often be hidden away in machine guns i don't know it's just we use so much yeah probably a case of i've not think like, things are probably i don't think they're weird anymore <laughs> but probably <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh yeah that's probably a bit strange isn't it um i'm a big fan of using 
um, sort of animal sounds in bits and pieces. One of the best things I got to use in Batman is a friend of mine from university who recorded spiders. Oh, um, really up close. So if you go into um, the Stag airships, you've got like the, um, the collectibles from Scarecrow. This collectibles? No. Can't remember. Um, they've got collectibles in there, and they're like these little hubbing, clicking boxes, and they're spiders that make these horrible little clicking sounds as they go along. That was pretty grim. But you know, sadly, with cardboard boxes, there there is as as you know as obvious as they sound. You know, Batman kicking cardboard boxes in the game is actually me kicking cardboard boxes around one of the rooms. <laughs> in it it kind of breaks the illusion too when you start mentioning that. Like, actually, yeah. this this scary thing could have been my. My, my nails clicking against something or me kicking a box yeah like that's but it, it, I, I love stuff like that the behind the scenes stuff is so fascinating to yeah. me uh you've worked on projects both from the start and also coming in late how difficult can it be yes. to come in late to a project and get a good feel for not just the team but the vision uh, an example of this is fable heroes which you you came in late to add sound there how long did it take for you to get a feel for that to be able to kind of comfortably understand okay, this is what they're going for. Um, Fable Heroes was really nice, actually. That was such, such a fun little game because I hadn't... Obviously, I could just come off the back of Body Count, which was like this really serious shooter, and all my university work was all very much, um, you know, very much kind of Mass Effect, Dragon Age-style serious stuff. So suddenly here I was given um, Fable Heroes, and for me it clicked very easily what kind of sound we should go for that because the designer said, you know, these are puppets out of a toy box. And that's the word that really um, stuck for the rest of the production was toy box. Mm-hmm. Um, these are basically oversized puppets. So, you know, Hammer has a squeaky hammer, you know. Um, the puppets are all cork guns just made louder and bigger. And have, it was basically just going away and finding lots of children's toys and finding ways to record them or recreate them in a much larger scale so that they'd sound more realistic. Um, so coming on at a late stage was was fine in that respect because so much of the game is already made. It's it's already a living, breathing thing. Um, it becomes quite obvious what the sound should be in many respects. You know, it's it's, it's just waiting to be put in. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing with the Fable Heroes is we were using um, Fable Ed, which was their editor, before they moved over to Unreal. And that was, that was a challenge, actually, learning their editor. Uh, in such a short span of time, uh, rather than using, um, or using that in-house editor rather than something like Unity or Unreal. Is that one uh, of the hardest things in general? As like when you were doing so much contract work, is going from studio to studio and learning the new language, learning the new software they're working on. Um, it is the biggest challenge because even with things like Unity and Unreal, especially, is no studio uses them in the same way. Yeah. Um, they're always, always using their own way. Coders always is write their own bits and pieces, use their own add-ons, have their own pipelines, use different bits of middleware. So they're becoming incredibly, incredibly different beasts. Uh, so the way Splash Damage used Unreal is completely different to the way Rocksteady used Unreal. Um, the way one indie company uses Unity is completely different to the way we're using Unity currently. Um, so it's all very well and good when someone says, I know Unity or I know Unreal. It's like, you do and you don't because there's always more to learn because code is always creating new stuff, bespoke stuff that you need for a particular project. Um, but saying that, at the end of the day, it's also a case of an engine is an engine, and you they all roughly do the 
same things. It's just learning where it is and how to do it. So mm. once you've kind of got your head wrapped around how a game's put together, how the jigsaw puzzle works, you can kind of rough it out. Mentioning before about Fable Heroes, you did come into that late, but I think the other challenge I would assume from a distance is you're working in an established franchise that already has this history of a certain sound design. It has history of how, this is how Fable games sound. And Fable Heroes was different than regular Fable games, but it comes with a certain amount of quote-unquote baggage. I've talked to writers who are currently working on the new Dragon Age, and one of the main things I've always wondered is how much research do you have to do to make sure you're not suddenly overstepping something? Or again, when you're writing a Star Wars, ga- a Star Wars game or even a Star Wars movie, you're like, well, I can't kill this character because of that or i can't do this with this certain type of person because that'll happen and it's it's this weird game of jenga did you have a similar thing in terms of you have to do a lot of research to understand this is what a fable game sounds like or did you have enough latitude with this company with this new side of fable with heroes that that wasn't really that important do you know what i'm not really sure because i think i already played the fable games so i'd already kind of knew that i was already engrossed in that world and so slipping into that world and creating sounds for that universe was, was very easy. It was kind of like, okay, I know Fable. I know what it sounds like. I know what I should do. And because Fable Heroes was such a short span of time, I only had five months to put all the audio together. We had, um, we had access to all the Fable sound libraries. So I could reuse a lot of their old assets and repurpose them and edit them to be what we needed for Fable Heroes, um, which was really handy. And if it wasn't for Fable's previous library. There was no way I could have done um, Fable Heroes in that time um, with the tech we had. I had Wes Latter come and join me to do bits and pieces as well, and Robin Beanland come, come in to do the music. But for the rest of the assets, for the majority of the game, you know, a lot of them were handcrafted for all the hero characters. But a lot of the NPCs, like the Hobbs and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I absolutely reused um, <laughs> Fable's assets and just kind of pitched them up and played around with a bit to make them more squeaky and childlike um so yeah because i had that wealth of assets sitting there it was a lot easier to do that but something like batman was a was a completely different experience because that again is such an established franchise but because we were creating a brand new um a title for a new console we didn't reuse any previous assets everything for arkham knight um well but about 95 percent of all the audio for arkham knight was bespoke and brand new new for that title so that was a case of okay now we're creating brand new stuff that fits in the world but is new and you mentioned you already knew fable so you had that kind of fan aspect going into a studio that you work which is one of the coolest part about working in games in general is suddenly you are working alongside or with people who were a major part of these games that defined your childhood and later on you you have these moments of keep it together like don't freak (laughs) out that you're working with this person you were at rare for about a year and a half and rare like i mentioned it's defined my childhood in a lot of ways banjo kazooie donkey kong 64 like all the uh, perfect all these different games mean so much to me and it has this there's this nostalgia factor overall i think for rare were you a fan of them beforehand and what did you exactly get to work on while you were there i wasn't a huge huge rare fan i was very aware of them and aware of the kind of you know that they're rare you, you have you know in the uk in the gaming world you know you have to be aware of them yeah. um you know i hadn't played uh, a lot of the games and i never played perfect dark i was never um, a big banjo kazooie or um, 
Conker's Bad Fur Day fan or anything oh, man, like I'm that. I'm ending the podcast now, turning off this call. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But, um, you know, I played Goldeneye and stuff like that. And so coming into it, it was, it was, it was terrifying. You know, I did feel, part of me was like, oh my God, I'm a fraud. <laughs> um, but I, I got on, I got there because I worked with Robin Beanland, who's the head of music. And I worked with him on Fable Heroes and he put my name forward for the role. Um, and Robin is just one of the nicest, nicest human beings you could possibly ever work with. A hell of a hell of a musician. So I worked very closely with him and the rest of the audio team. Um, we were on Connect Sports Rivals. Um, and Rare was just a really great experience. Like, it's a, Rare is a very strange place because we're literally out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Rare is barn in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> The nearest petrol station is like a twenty-minute drive away. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you can't just you can't just nip out anywhere. Um, you know, I had to move quite. I had to move far, um, far away from my family and friends. Like, I had to like drive back to see my partner for like t- every for three hours every weekend and stuff. It was very strange, but you know, it was an absolute place where you know you made friends for life. People there were just they've got such an amazing abundance of talent in that building. And because you are all kind of stuck in this thing, you know, it's, you know, you do, you bond very quickly. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really good fun and working on, um, connect sports. I was with connect game, which I've never done before. I've never done a sports game. I know absolutely fuck all about sports. Um, so that was a really, really interesting experience. Like I, I had, I was in charge of tennis and, um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know anything about tennis. I'm really, really not sporty in the slightest. Um, I go to the gym and that's about it. <laughs> but you still do all the audio for the tennis. Yeah. And so I go like, okay, you need to do like a sound for a slam and a slice. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> so I go find someone <laughs> that knew tennis. And I was like, okay, I need you to kind of give it to me in sound terms. What's the slice? i like, hey, what does it sound like? And they're like, well, a slice is kind of like a really loud, sharp swish. And a slam is like a big thwack. And so I literally kind of wrote it out and I'm on a like in big letters, and that's how I did my sound design for the tennis. See, all of this has done is maybe want someone like you and a team who doesn't know about sports to design a sports game just to see what that's like. I've joked in the past, I've been serious at points about I think there's value in reviewers who aren't sports fans to review Madden and NBA 2K to be like, all right, what's the experience like if you're not this rabid sports person i now i want to see the game develop or like i don't know what basketball is but i'm gonna try to make a game about basketball <laughs> i just want this now uh this is maybe a little bit of a difficult question to ask to answer about rare but for the longest time rare like we mentioned before is just the beloved 3d platformer um and just beloved franchise in general kind of studio and then they had this moment where they were doing the connect stuff like you mentioned and avatars and a lot of people in the press i was at GameSpot, i was at ign at these times there's a lot of what's going on with Rare? Not in a bad way, but it was a transition period. It was not what they were doing before, and they are wondering, are they going to do more 3D platformers? Are they going to make more big games that aren't Kinect-focused or Avatar-focused? While you were there, does any of that stuff get through to a studio? Do you guys see maybe articles or hear people on podcasts talking about, oh, we want old Rare, we want these certain aspects of Rare back? Does that stuff not bug you, but does it get you sometimes? Were you hearing that stuff? The developers are very, very aware of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to say on that. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I, there's only so much you could say about these certain things, and I, I know they are making a new game right now. So, like, there's a lot going on at Rare, but I would assume just 
I, I think a lot of people, when you don't get comment, they assume, oh, they're not listening, but I never really think no, that's the case. I think a lot of it is we're listening and we can't comment or we'll comment yeah. when we have more to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I won't ask. I, yeah. I, won't, I won't have you accidentally break some sort of thing you can't talk about. Let's move on really quick to, to Batman because that's something that fas- fascinates me. What was it like working on a Batman game like Arkham Knight? Because we spoke earlier about working with established franchises, but in this case, you're doing sound design for one of the biggest brands outside of games you're not just working on fable which has been traditionally oh this is a whole bunch of different games you're working on something that's multimedia that's comics that's movies that's a little bit of everything did you have certain restrictions did that project feel different than some of the stuff you'd worked on before yes and no um obviously you know it was batman games that was such a huge huge thing for me like i adored adored those games i adored the franchise you know i love you know i love I love comic books and I love, you know, I love, I love Marvel and DC. And so that working on something like that was just, you know, an absolute dream come true. And, you know, I already applied for a job at Rocksteady whilst I was at Rare and, and, and lost it out to Andrew Quinn, which is how I ended up at Splash Damage briefly. And then he was the one that called me going, oh, yeah, Rocksteady, <laughs> looking for someone else. Are you free to come in for chat? And then ended up back at Rocksteady with him. Um, this industry is very small and incestuous. It really is. People don't realize <laughs> that sometimes where you will somehow work with someone years later and be like, how is this even possible? Oh, yeah, and the guy that took my place uh, rare ended up coming to Rocksteady to work with us as well. That's how Man. it is. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Um, but, yeah, no, working at um, Rocksteady, that was, that was, and again, because it's such an established franchise, it has a sound. It has a soundscape. You know what you're going into. Again, so fitting sounds into it like okay this is batman you know what kind of sounds need to go you know you can't make too many happy sounds for example (laughs) um one of the things i looked after in batman was the ui system uh so the gadget wheel the huds the menus um sort of any blips and bleeps in the game is was was my my doing and all the collectibles and stuff so you know you can't um, making blips and bleeps be moody was a challenge you know, I you know we did butt heads with the lead sometimes. Like I think I was my one was a Zoom sound I made. I really liked it, and Andy was like, "No, put it back to the old one." I'm like, oh, "Why? I like it." It's like, "No, put it back to the old one." You know, I got that sound in there some other way. How? But um, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, he was the lead. You do what I say. How big is a team like that? Uh, how big is the sound design team in that case? Uh, there wasn't. It wasn't huge actually. So uh, on the sound side, there was. Um, Lee, Quinn, Pierre, and Danny on a kind of sound design. But no, Danny was more dialogue with Andy, our lead. And then there was myself and Nick, the composer. And that was okay. in-house at Rocksteady. And then our two audio programmers, Chip and Tony. Do you prefer working on major AAA stuff like that? Or is there? can it be even more rewarding to work on indie stuff that... You of course want that communication. You, if you, you want that person to be like, no, I think we should do this. And you go back and forth and you end up with a compromise that's better than each individual idea. But is there also something even more rewarding about just having these creative thoughts and being able to implement them into smaller games? Um, yes and no. Um, things about working with AAA and is, is having that, you're right, it's having that support network. Um, so when you work on a AAA game and you have a crazy idea of, oh, I want to do this, you know, you have, 
you have a code support team. So I could go to Tony and go, Tony, I want to try and do this. And he'd be like, oh, I can do that. Yeah, we can make that work. And I'd be like, brilliant. And it would get sorted. Um, if you don't have an audio programmer, you know, you, you can't, you might come up and say, oh, I really want to do that. And it's like, oh, no, I can't because we don't have the resources, um, which can be a real shame. And also, it's just quite nice to kind of sanity check your work because I think you can get, again, because it is an art form, sound design, it is very much an art form. And like all artists, you can get too close to your work. Um, so having that degree of separation of having another sound designer there to kind of look over it and go, I don't think that works. Yeah. Or have you tried doing this? Or that's really cool. Carry on is, is really nice. Just having those fresh ears come in and be able to look over your work. Um, so yeah, so like, like in my company at the moment, um, I've hired in a sound designer, Ian Macbeth, who I worked with at Codemasters, um, because I wanted more than just my ears on the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know because the, the audio is that important it's like it doesn't it deserves more than just one of us yeah so um yeah but i think it's also nice with, with the sort of triple a versus the indie stuff is that you do um often in my experience if you haven't got a triple a background you've not like you've often with a triple a background you've experienced uh, often a lot more hardships and um have done a lot more interesting things with audio possibly than a lot of indie developers could have done because you've had those resources. Um, and it does allow you to think in a different way. Um, and it allows you a certain freedom, which is really nice. So the sound designers that I've worked with in the indie scene um, have all come from X AAA. And it's really nice just to be able to kind of talk in a particular way and just get on with things and just yeah. trust them to do it and get on with it. That I would assume sense. it does. I would assume a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of people are coming from AAA to smaller studios or indie. You've kind of gone through the gauntlet, you've gone through the ringer, and you now have this understanding of this is the way I want to do it instead of that AAA way. Or maybe we can you can pick yeah. certain aspects of how AAA games did things and adjust them to how you do it on a smaller team. Uh, exactly. Again, I, I talked to the Halo co-creator Marcus Leto about this because he has V1 Interactive and we went in depth about crunch and how he believes like crunch is something that you can't eliminate entirely. It's a little bit of an aspect of this industry that you can't just remove, but you mm. can do better with it. You you could take oh, the lessons from Halo and from the different games he worked on at Bungie and at the smaller scale, understand how to do this in a way that works for everyone that doesn't cause people to just get wrecked by those that many hours and i would assume just with sound design you can look at different aspects of all right here's what worked in AAA, but let's remove this layer of it that doesn't work or that layer and i'm guessing that's something you do now with your current job absolutely absolutely especially when you talk about crunch now because audio um we're often we're often left until the end Mm -hmm. um because we can't do a lot of our work until other people have finished theirs um, it's a really interesting thing. Like I was speaking to a lot of people about this, and it's like if you want to know what stage a project's in, talk to the audio team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, they've got eyes on everything. So one of the few departments that talk to every other department as well. You know, we we talk to the code teams regularly. We talk to the design teams, the UI teams, the cinematics teams. You know, we we, are, we have our hands in every department because every department deals with audio at some point. Um, so we have a really good idea on the status of the game, but it also means that if um, we have to go and tag animations, for example, for the Foley and to put special effects on things. If that animation isn't finished, we can't do it. So if the animation 
information is being reworked at the last minute, we then have to, at the last minute, readjust all of what we're doing and our timings. If we don't get a marketing video until the last minute and someone goes, oh, can you do 30 seconds worth of audio in a day? You know, that's that's a real push because they don't understand how much work and craft goes into it. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of crunch with audio, which I think is a real shame. And, um, I think, yeah, some of it I do I do agree to certain things, that some of it is unavoidable. Like, I think it's just the nature of, of the way the work goes, that people want to put in that extra bit at the last minute. But I think there's absolutely a way to do it without making yourself ill. Like I've made myself ill a couple of times over crunch, you know, and you, yeah. you're not working silly hours. You know, we're talking 12 hours a day, seven days a week for months and months and months. And, you know, all you're eating is takeaway and you're not sleeping and you're stressing and you make, you make stupid mistakes because you're so tired and you're kicking yourself over making the stupid mistakes. And it's just not a great way to live at all. And so that's the kind of aspect of AAA that we, yeah, we, you don't, to carry over. <laughs> you can't work like that successful. You can't uh, like when you're on Saturday of you know month three of working like that, and you're on hour nine. You're just like, I can't. Like whatever you yes. do is not going to be nearly what it should be. Like that has to be yes. just. Ugh. I mean, speaking of where you're working on now, I mean, you you have a Kickstarter right now. You have a crowdfunding project. Before yes. we get into that, what sort of games does your studio make? Like, what's your design philosophy if you're going to give an elevator pitch for it? Uh, so we are doing a narrative branching adventure game. Um, our game is all about uh, emotional choices and relationships with the characters in a murder mystery setting. That's a pretty good elevator pitch. <laughs> Thank you. How many? How many? Is this the? How many games has your studio done beforehand, or is this the first one? None. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's weird. Like it's, it's it's always really it's because we have to say like how many games have you got made before or team made before? And we're like as a studio none, but, <laughs> but we're all like triple A, so it's like yeah. we've all got huge titles under our belts. And so it's like, we've actually done quite a lot as a team, but yeah, there's, there's, as Salix, this is our first title. It's our debut okay. title. Yeah, but um, yeah, everyone on team is, uh, is ex-triple A. Um, basically after the fall of Lionhead, you know, um, a whole bunch of us got together. Um, I've been speaking with Ed Reed, who's our tech director, for a couple of years now about thinking about going indie is like I've got this idea for a game I really want to do it I've thought about going indie for a while you know it was always my dream in, in the end to have my own studio and, and tell my own stories and have my own games I just thought I'd be doing it in 10 years time not now um so yeah when Lionhead went down and you know I just come off the back of the BAFTA win it was a case of well I've come into a bit of money I've got suddenly loads of my friends are unemployed <laughs> this is the perfect time to kind of wrangle everyone together and, and start making something. You mentioned before when people ask, like, oh, what have you made? And you're like, well, that's Alex. Like, we haven't made anything yet, but we have all this experience behind us. Yeah. When you're considering a press strategy for a Kickstarter project, I would assume that's one of the biggest hurdles is introducing yourselves and making sure people know, like, okay, like, this is why you should pay attention. These, This is what we've worked on. This is why this is important. I mean, as someone in the media, I was still writing when Kickstarter really started to get big and at the start, every Kickstarter project you, you covered because it was this new thing. Yeah. It was exciting. And then over time, you get a little bit numb to it because you're getting emails every single day about Kickstarter yeah. X and Kickstarter Y. Did you sort of understand the landscape and try to build messaging that would help you stand out? What do you even do when you're trying to get sites to cover you to make sure they don't just gloss over and not cover what you're talking about? Oh, we tried every angle we could. Um, you know, we, again, because we, we come from a triple A background. We, we know lots of people in the industry. And so I spoke to loads of our marketing friends and our PR <laughs> friends. And we were like, 
how do we do this? <laughs> and our journalist friends like, how do we get people like you to listen to us? Um, it's really difficult. Yeah. Really difficult. Um, and it got to the point where we're like, if no one's listening to us, how are they listening to anyone? Yeah. And I'm like, we've got something really shiny. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's a very, it's a very strange landscape out there. Kickstarter, especially. Um, you almost already have, you already have to have almost, it seems now you almost have to have the following before you have the Kickstarter. Yes. Uh, and not the other way around, which is something, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We wish we had, we had known going in. Um, cause that's something we didn't do. Um, we thought it wasn't like that. Um, and obviously the people we're speaking to, like I speak to the Platonic guys and obviously there for a few years ago and that was for Kickstarter was completely different back then and they were incredibly, incredibly successful. Um, so it's very, very, very strange. You know, you, you try and push every angle. Um, and like, come on guys, pay attention to us. We did everything, went to MCM, set up a stall there, spoke to loads of indie journalists and look, come on, write about us. But it's also the, the whole idea of the Kickstarter things. You have to stop production on your game to do the Kickstarter and to get all the assets out for that. And so you're kind of, so there are lots of the stuff we're showing is in the pre-alpha stage and it's just like, oh, damn it, I wish we were kind of four or five months along so we could show this. But then is that four or five months along going to be too far down the road? Is it going to be too late when we've got to build a community up and, and do this earlier? It's a big, it's a big gamble and balancing system. Um, yeah, social media, Kickstarter and everything is, is, is a brand new world for us. Cause, you know, we're so you, again, I think that's the problem with being AAA is when it's been that stuff, we're used to having teams, being able to pass all of that off to someone else. <laughs> And an entire team deal with it. And suddenly, no, it's on our lap. We're the ones having to be in control of it. And it's been, yeah, having to learn it all. The, the steps that you need to take to get there, like the order you need to take them, have to be a little confusing, like you mentioned, where you need this following beforehand, but you can't get the following unless you release a game, but you can't release the game unless you get the Kickstarter money. <laughs> and you can't get the Kickstarter money unless you have enough of a game to show to get people interested. But again, you can't have enough of a game to show if you don't have the money to make it. So it's this back and forth with where do I even start? What is good to have on Kickstarter? And I know from just from the press side, I've talked to people. And when I was still doing that, it's you have these moments of like, okay, how do I cover this? There's a weird ethical nature to it. I'm like, well, does my coverage contribute to helping these people get funded which is that my role as press and if i cover something in that game let's say the developers just take the money and run because you don't exactly know them like that's not a good thing to cover either and or am i going to cover something that never gets made there's so many weird there's so much weirdness in general with kickstarter between the developer and the press that i I still don't know where i stand on all this stuff because i see something like your game i watch the video i think it looks interesting and i'm like okay i I would like to talk about this but even on this podcast which is not at the scale of GameSpot or ign or anything crazy like that but there's this moment of like i wonder if this contributes to any sort of kickstarter money too there's so many weird aspects to it that aren't really figured out yet absolutely i mean it's it is it is so bizarre and like i think you know right people have been have been burnt by kickstarter you know, that's why, again, kind of back to your original point, we've been really trying to push that we are X, X AAA and that we have done this many times before. Um, you know, in the fact that regardless of anything, the game will be coming out. You know, we have the skills and the talent to produce the game. Um, so it's like, you give us the money, you will get a copy of the game. It's not, we're not something that's going to disappear into obscurity because we know what we're doing and we have 
the team to do that, but it's very difficult to kind of put that across, especially when you're showing unfinished assets. So, you know, we're putting things off with pre-alpha kind of stuff over the top of it. But then I'm like, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, we're so, I'm so insular with my, my kind of friendship groups and the people I know, you know, they're all game developers. <laughs> they're all wives yeah. and girlfriends of game developers. <laughs> um, and they're used to speaking in a certain way. And it's like, do people like, actually know what we're talking about when we say that? <laughs> you know, are people, are people looking at it and thinking, oh, is that it? Is that what the final game's going to look at? These people look like robots. They're still, it's like, no, but it's not finished yet. It's going to look, imagine what it's going to look like in six months' time. It's going to be amazing. And That's, they don't have to see past that. And it's like, it's very strange. Like, we went to AdventureX, and we were kind of showing to a few people. And it was very strange. Like, the developers, they'd sit and they'd look at it, and they got it straight away. They knew, like, oh, my God, this is going to be fantastic. You know, once it's polished and fine. Other people were like, well, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. And I'm like, I know, we haven't finished it yet. It's a very strange experience. That goes back to that sort of, we talked earlier about the lack of education about sound design. There's just an overall, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, a lack of education about game design from people who play video games. It's Absolutely. it's why you see YouTube videos go on and on yelling at developers for things where it's like, you don't even have an, like, any idea of what goes into that, how that happens, why this choice was made, why that choice was made. I'm not saying developers are immune to criticism. Everyone, you know, yeah. everyone gets critiqued, sometimes rightly, sometimes yeah. wrongly. But yeah. when you're throwing something like that video you have out there for me, who's now worked with studios, you know, like, okay, that's early along. This is, these are concepts. These will be tweaked. These will be changed in certain ways. There was that, um, that Shenmue trailer where, uh, and that, that might actually just be how that is. Where like Shenmue three, where like the dude's face was not moving the entire time. Everyone's like, Oh my God, this is trash. This is the worst. I'm like, that's also really early and almost definitely going to be changed down the line. Your goal right now is right around, I think it was 53,000. Uh, and going back, to that lack of education thing just to give people a clear idea is that essentially to take you from the pre-alpha to the finish line since you've already been working on some of the game because i would assume fifty-three thousand overall isn't enough to fund a game of this size oh god absolutely not i uh, know it's that money is essentially to pay our coders to port the game yeah it's uh basically uh that money is about five six months worth of code time to pay our coders to to at a time to to port onto xbox and playstation Again, I, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. How much does the entire, it, from start to finish, how much would you assume an entire project of this size would cost? You really don't want to know. <laughs> it's it's just so strange. Again, you remember not that long ago, there was the, I think it was Blaze Blue or something similar about just the adding a single character. And I think it was like millions of dollars or less just to do something like that. It's, it's still wish. I do hope we get to a point. I think a lot of the 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 toxicity online there's a lot of reasons for it, but maybe one major reason again is this lack of understanding between people who play and love games and define themselves as gamers. And this is so important to them and the people who make them so they can understand here's why this is, and here's why that is. And then hopefully there can be a greater understanding between those two people. Oh, I think so completely. It's like, I look at, you know, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of games on steam. And I think in some respects, people like um, Unity and Unreal have a lot to answer for with, you know, because you can just go and buy a whole bunch of pre-made assets, stick them together, call it a game, and put something together in a week and release it on Steam and say, ta I've done a game. Uh, and it's like, when you look at something like what we've done and every single asset has been handcrafted deliberately for this game. And when you show that, it's like people don't necessarily understand that. Um, and again, it's like people don't understand how how much or how complex it is to make a single character. So you have to you have to concept a cat, pay someone to concept 
set the character, then you have to pay someone to model the character and texture the character, then to pay someone to rig the character and animate the character. If you've got lip sync, you've got to work out which lip sync solution you've got to deal with and you've got to work out okay we've got a whole conversation system and then that's completely different to a whole cutscene situation then you've got someone to light it (laughs) then you hire in a voice actor and then you've got to hire in someone to edit and uh edit those voice actors and get them in game and then you've got to sit someone to actually implement those voice sounds in game and then you've got someone to put it all together and get the coder to make sure it's all in place and it's just like that's a team (laughs) to get one character working (laughs) it's insane yeah, people don't people don't realise that that just to get something that looks simple can be incredibly complex when you do it from scratch. The only way to get things looking new and exciting is to do it from scratch. As, as someone who's only gotten to game design recently, I learn a great deal every single day, and the more I learn, <laughs> the more I'm just like, how the hell does anything ever come out? How is and things have been very broken in AAA recently. How are not? How are they not yeah. more broken? Like, how is everything? Everything should always be on fire. I've told this story briefly before. You were mentioning sound design being the last thing. I remember um, I was just a contractor for uh, Ten Gentlemen when we did Here They Lie and coming in and playing the entire game two weeks before it was about to release. And as we were playing through it, like there's like two audio bugs that they were like taking note of during my playthrough. And I'm like, oh my god, this comes out in two weeks. How oh, yeah. how is this stuff here? But then you realize like, oh, that's just games. Like that's just oh, how yeah. this stuff works. Yeah. Like game devs are amazing at getting stuff done up until the wire. That is yeah. one skill we really have done well. Um, but yeah, it's it's bonkers. You know, I always say, you know, it's we're a, a house of matchsticks held together by honey. Um, that is basically a game. You move one thing slightly, and you can cause vast consequences on things that make absolutely no sense. You know, every team and every game, you know, they have folders of just bizarre bugs that have been saved that are just hilarious. It's like, and people are like, even with 20, 30 years experience have gone, how the hell has that happened? Yeah. We do not understand why. Okay. Our lead character has gone invisible. Why? (laughs) Predator mode. Okay. Yeah. Let's just laugh it off. Carry on. It's just like, what is going on? Um, but yeah, it's absolutely is like that. So yeah, kind of sometimes I sit down and question like, why do I do this? Why do, I do this it's incredibly incredibly stressful but you know then you see the game when it's working and it's kind of polished like we had our announced trailer that was all polished you know kind of almost final spec and I was just like this is why we do it because we've got to make it work with these amazing people who I've worked with before and we get to create our own stories and create something that looks like this and it's like that is incredibly satisfying yeah and to be positive about game design for a second, the game does look really incredible. Uh, it's uh, Dulac and Faye Dance of Death. It's, yes. And you are right around halfway to the goal, eight days left at the time of this recording. Yes. And a lot of the funding almost always comes in at the very end. Just to give people an idea, what is kind of your game plan with the game moving forward? Because even if you don't get the full funding, I would assume you have a backup plan for what you still want to do if you want to put the work into it. So what do you want to do with the game moving forward? What's kind of the next year or more plan for it? Uh, so the next plan is basically um, we get this Kickstarter out of the way. If we get it, that, that's amazing. That takes a huge, huge weight off our shoulders. It means we can more than comfortably pay our uh, team to um, port to consoles. Um, if not, then we're going to have to go and look at some other venues for financing for the ports. But otherwise, we just carry on making the game. Um, we, you know, we've got our schedules planned out. We know 
we've because we've done all our dialogue recording we know what scenes need to be made we're probably about 80 percent art complete 80 percent character complete it's now a case of putting the jigsaw puzzle together you know getting the animations done getting the code um as smooth as possible and really polishing it up over the next you know six to eight months oh perfect so do you think late next year mid next year do you have a target date we're hoping we're hoping end of july that's okay. that's our kind of goal at the moment uh, we're hoping not to slip too much from that you know i, I don't want to say you know that's that's our target you know but you know game development you know we never know what kind of horrible horrible spanners will get through in the works but you know that's that's our target well, hopefully nothing horrible happens and gets thrown in the works. Hopefully it's all smooth because, yeah. you know, if we talk about all the awful stuff, maybe this one will be like as smooth yeah. as possible. They'll get all the okay. funding yeah, by the end of those days. That would be lovely. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to Now that we said it's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> Jessica, where can people find you on social media and your team on social media? And do you have a website they can visit? Yeah, so you can find us at Salix Games on Twitter and Salix Games on Facebook and SalixGames.com. And you can follow me personally at JJ Saunders. All right, perfect. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for doing this. Again, sound design is one of those things that I, I don't think people know that much about. And a lot of what I like to do on this podcast is talk to people who do this stuff for a living and who have passion for this stuff and can actually explain to people, here's how this works and here's why this doesn't work the way you think it works. And uh, I really do hope you guys do reach that funding goal. The game does thank look you. super interesting. Um, and either we've, way... So we've just had so much fun making it and we just really, really wanted to get it to as many people as possible. We're- we really think people are going to love it. I think you'll get there. I, that, this is my vote of confidence. Uh, and yeah, hopefully once you're deeper into development or even once the game comes out, I can have you back on and we can talk more about the entire development of it. Fantastic. I'd love to. All right. Perfect. Thanks so much again. And thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.